Welcome to Invest in Brazil, your podcast on the ins and outs of the capital markets in one of the world's most important developing economies. My name is Fábio Coelho, and I am the CEO of the Brazilian Association of Capital Market Investors, AMEC. Today, I'll be your host. In simple terms, by investing in a publicly traded company, you become a partner of that firm. So, while you are entitled to a share of its profits, you also have your own responsibilities as a shareholder. And when you are an institutional investor, that counts double. Exercising your voting rights is not only an individual responsibility, but also safeguards your customers' best interests in the long run. This is related to what we call stewardship. The UK was the first country to establish stewardship as a formal practice back in 2010, when the Financial Reporting Council, FRC, launched the UK Stewardship Code. The code has been updated since, embracing the idea that institutional investors should also aim to create benefits for the economy, the environment and the society when allocating resources. If you have listened to our previous episodes, you already know why stewardship is so important. In short, engaging with a company is the best way to fulfill strategic goals, especially when it comes to ESG principles. By developing a consistent sense of active ownership regarding the companies they put their money into, institutional investors can positively influence their governance practice and have a say in the company's long-term strategy. In Europe and the US, where stewardship culture is mainstream, investors often team up to support shareholders' proposals they agree upon at AGM. And this is particularly important as many of these proposals include issues related to board diversity, climate risks, and even governance matters such as compensation and management oversight. In Brazil, we are not quite there yet, but we are heading in the right direction. Back in 2016, we at AMEC made a significant contribution to this process by launching the AMEC Stewardship Code. Consisting of seven principles, it helps guide investors to develop their own stewardship practice. In a nutshell, we believe they should do it by engaging with companies, exercising their voting rights, including ESG criteria as part of their investment process, and connecting with other investors to create a collective impact. So far, around 30 signatories have voluntarily joined our mission to encourage stewardship in Brazil. And it has already produced results. As our 2019 stewardship report shows, our international associates took part in 85% of their company shareholders meeting, while Brazilian associates did the same on 45% of occasions. This shows we have come a long way in the past five years, but there is still plenty of room for growth. Now, we are ready for the next step by launching the Brazilian Stewardship Code with the support of the CFA Society Brazil. The original seven principles remain the same, but now they can reach new highs based on Amex's 15 years of experience and the CFA Society's broad reach. 
to discuss the importance of the Brazilian stewardship code to our associates and the domestic market, we reached out to Mike Lubrano, principal of Lubrano Advisor Services. We will talk to him after the break. Welcome to Invest in Brazil, Mike. It's a pleasure to have you here today. Thank you very much for inviting me. We know that the stewardship culture in Brazil is still under development. What's missing to bring it into the mainstream? Well, I don't think Brazil is unique in this uh, sense. So stewardship culture is, is deficient in one way or another, and in many ways in, in, in all markets. Uh, in, por in part, this is because stewardship has to be implemented differently by different types, sizes, uh, investment strategies, all sorts of different types of investors have to implement, uh, develop their own approaches to and implement stewardship in their in their own way. And and for this to be possible, most of them uh, are, are by, by their nature not uh, innovators. They, they need models and they need, in order for there to be models uh, to, uh, to start from, to, to work from, to integrate ES and G in their investment processes and, 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 and procedures, uh, there has to be leadership. There have to be examples that they can learn from and they can build off of them. And, and Brazil also needs leaders in this area, not just one or two high profile, large names, but, but, um, but also niche uh, investors. And then those, uh, those stories, those practices and those experiences need to be, need to be shared. Indeed. And do you think the Brazilian stewardship code can help to solve these issues? The, the Brazilian code of stewardship, just like the codes in, there are about 20 codes uh, worldwide, uh, codes of stewardship and more every year. What they do is they set out the objectives of stewardship and uh, the components, what falls within the concept of stewardship. And this creates a common vocabulary among investors, uh, their clients, the companies in which the institutional investors invest, as well as the regulator, maybe even the general public. And these codes need to then be complemented by a dialogue and a dissemination of experience among these parties in interest. And what the code does is provide the framework through which this dialogue and this experience of, of, of education and deepening the kind of the culture that we mentioned earlier uh, can, can occur. At AMAC, we say that it's better to adopt the code principles gradually rather than putting it off in order to do everything all at once at a later date. In your view, which is the best path for investors that want to adopt these principles and create a stewardship culture? Yeah, I'm probably in the camp that believes that investors should adopt uh, the principles gradually, learning from the experiences along the way. Um, but the first step is to articulate why the investor is doing it. What the stewardship, what role does stewardship play within the investor's own strategy and objectives? How does it fit within the investor's beliefs and investment strategy? That's what um, I think it's got to be always, always has to be the first step. That's it, Mike. I couldn't agree more. 
We also recommend investors to define priorities for engagement in case they have a large number of companies in their portfolios. So, which factors should they consider when deciding which cases to prioritize, Mike? Of course, we're talking here about materiality. Well, these are a number of factors that feed into it. Ultimately, the objective is how to make use of the investor's limited resources uh, for engagement and to get the, uh, the the best return out of that engagement to make the uh, to be most effective in the kind of changes they're trying to see in the companies uh, for the benefit of the, the value uh, those companies represent for for their investors. The, the seven or eight factors can include. I mean, they're 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 not. Uh, Uh, this is not rocket science, how important the company is in the portfolio. What's the company's weight in the portfolio? Uh, what percentage stake in the company does the investor hold? Obviously, an investor with a greater stake in the company will be more likely to be influential in that company. Um, the client's own interests, um, uh, depending on the strategy and what Uh, the client's expectations are with respect to uh, return and um, and uh, uh, or even if it's a, uh, a client who who is looking for some mix of impact and return those may drive what kind of engagements get priority in a portfolio uh, visible names may also the idea is that uh, visible names may also um, warrant um, a um, Uh, greater engagement because those are the companies who are higher profile and perhaps that engagement will be more likely to work with because they're more concerned about their reputation and uh, and uh, uh, and how they're regarded in the market. Um, another another uh, factor that every investor should consider when deciding where to prioritize its engagements is its own expertise and experience. What areas of Uh, concern is it particularly savvy in and able to be convincing with companies uh, to 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 uh, to be um, uh, to be effective. Uh, some some firms focus or have a great deal of expertise in governance. They probably are more effective when they prioritize their engagements on the governance side than on environmental and social. Other funds uh, or firms may have an expertise. In particular, environmental issues or, or particular social issues, and if they have that expertise, then they should probably prioritize more. More often than not, or all the things that being the same, should give priority to where they they can put that special knowledge and skill uh, to to work. Um, also, of course, is the availability of of rights and, and recourse. Um, uh, engagements are more effective. All other things being equal, if the investor has in its back pocket the ability to uh, exercise corporate rights to elect directors or or, or vote on, on corporate matters um, or, or sue the company if the company is uh, uh, is, is, is violating the, the, uh, the law. The availability of those rights also will influence where, a where an investor prioritizes its engagements. Um, and then finally, one that I don't think we spend enough time on in the discussions over stewardships is the company's managements and in controlling shares in the case of a market like Brazil, where controlling shareholders are, are, are predominant, um, the company's own willingness to engage with investors. Um, it may sound strange, but perhaps you should devote your efforts not to the companies that are um, 
most recalcitrant and most uh, that need to push the most um, uh, from a sort of objective point of view, but that subjectively are, are more likely to listen, um, that are more open to dialogue with investors. Mike, over the last year, ESG issues have become increasingly important in Brazil and of course all over the world. Do you think this will help to raise awareness about the importance of stewardship? I do, I do. Um, I, I think Brazil doesn't get enough credit for having a lot of the governance issues being at the forefront uh, of investors' minds for, for some time. Uh, Ameki deserves a lot of credit for that. What what I see now is, is more of a concern on the part of investors to understand, to, to price, and also to engage over environmental and social issues. And I think this is good, but I do hope it doesn't distort the selection of, of issues that the investors engage over or focus on. It's, it's not surprising that when there are headlines about a, a very current um, uh, uh, situation, a disaster, that attention be drawn to the particular issue, for example, like the Brumadinho mine tailing disaster will draw attention to uh, that particular Uh, type of issue. And I'm not saying that that's not an issue that deserves a lot of attention. It certainly does. Uh, but you, you do have the, the risk that the shorter term issues, uh, be the ones that are uh, highlighted in, in, in the media because of a recent disaster will um, overwhelm the attention and that uh, the attention to longer term issues will, will suffer as a result. And, and I think is another, another, uh, reason for for thoughtful allocation of, 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 of investors' limited resources among issues that that it feels are of, of longer term or long or long term uh, and uh, uh, interest to to uh, to the performance of its portfolio. Another important change caused by the pandemic is that many shareholders meeting have been taken online. Do you think technology will make engagement easier in the post-pandemic period? And if so, where do proxy voting agents fit into this? How important will they be? I, I hope they I hope that the greater familiarity and comfort with um, remote communications um, that we've seen because of the pandemic does have the impact of or the long-term effect of allowing um, for a closer and more regular communication between companies and investors and gives the investors an opportunity themselves to, to, uh, uh, to, um, uh, to understand what's going on in the companies and how they should vote their shares. Um, but I still think that, th that uh, uh, proxy voting agencies, if what we mean here are, are proxy advisors, are still going to be very important because regardless of how, how, how readily you can collect information about companies through, uh, through virtual meetings and, and through um, uh, uh, greater access to perhaps uh, folks inside the company, um, most investors uh, that hold hundreds and hundreds of uh, shares in hundreds and hundreds of companies are, are, are not likely to be able efficiently to, to, to uh, uh, 
to make an independent judgment on every single one of those. There's still economies of scale in analyzing um, analyzing um, board, uh, sorry, uh, shareholder resolutions and um, uh, and other matters that are brought to the shareholders like mergers and the like. So, so I think that the proxy voting agencies are still going to be uh, important and, and perhaps maybe even uh, more so because they themselves will have uh, greater and more um, real-time access to information from companies, which should make them uh, more more uh, accurate and efficient. We are in the middle of an IPO boom in Brazil. So how important is it for the market that investors engage with those companies as soon as they become public traded? And I guess the question that I would have about that is why, why wait? I mean, if these are companies that are going to be eligible investments for, for, um, uh, for your fund, why, why not participate in the roadshows and engage with the companies even before uh, they're public? Uh, particularly if you're an investor that typically holds the whole market, these are going to become your companies. So, so I, 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 uh, I, I don't think that investor, investors that participate in the IPO itself should be engaging with the company even before it goes public. It would be kind of good. It would be an education uh, for a company that's up to now been, uh, heretofore has been um, uh, a private company to understand what it's like to be a public company and the kind of relationship they should have with the market and with their shareholders. Another important trend is the flurry of M&As we have seen in the country in the past couple of years. How should investors engage in these operations to avoid conflicts of interest or problems in the related party transactions, the famous ones? I mean, I think the history in Brazil uh, in particular, but also in other markets, the, the experience around mergers and acquisitions has generated a lot of Uh, concerns for minority shareholders and a lot of, frankly, mistreatment uh, of minority shareholders. They're, they're the, the, the very nature uh, of, of mergers and acquisitions, the, um, the, uh, uh, the necessity to, to assign values to the acquired company, uh, the opportunities for side payments for controlling shareholders, um, particularly when the, the merger is between a parent and a subsidiary. Uh, all of those have presented many opportunities for mistreatment of minority shareholders and many sad cases of mistreatment of minority shareholders. So those mergers and acquisitions are, are, are an area where shareholders should be particularly concerned uh, about um, getting engaged with the companies and with understanding the transactions and with making sure that the, uh, the companies involved know that The market and the companies, uh, smart market and the investors are scrutinizing those transactions. I think if you look at the history of uh, disputes in in um, in Brazil uh, over minority shareholder mistreatment, a disproportionate number of those are with relation to a, a, a merger or an acquisition. Well, Mike, you have given us lots to think about. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you very much. 